Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Chief Chat. This is the second episode of our podcast where we talk to current and former editors-in-chief of college newspapers. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Petrus. And I'm your other host, Ian Ullman, here with our producer, Alex Popajak. Say hi, Alex. Hi, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) We have a great episode for you today. Uh, We sit down and have a really insightful conversation with Elizabeth Lepro. She's the editor-in-chief of the Pitt News, which serves the community of the University of Pittsburgh. You're going to hear us talk about the definition of balance and bias in media, heteronormativity in professional sports, and why Pitt News is unique as an independent institution separate from college funding. All right, let's just stop talking about it and get right into the discussion. This is episode two of Chief Chat. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Chief Chat. Uh, this is a podcast dedicated to talking journalism and whatever else and uh, with uh, Curtin Formage former college newspaper editor-in-chiefs. Today we are chatting with Elizabeth Lepro, the editor-in-chief of the daily uh, newspaper Pitt News from the University of Pittsburgh. Hello, uh, Elizabeth. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming down. Uh, So why don't we... uh, I'm really interested to know how you sort of got into uh, journalism. Did you start in high school? No. Um, I went to a really small high school, so we did have a... We had a student newspaper, and... I was technically on it, but it was garbage, Um, (laughs) and I didn't do that much. So I didn't really get involved until my sophomore year of college when I started working at the paper um, as a news reporter. I just kind of joined for... What are you now? Are you a a senior? Yeah, yeah. So I've been three years at the paper. Uh, Where'd you go to high school? Honesdale High School. It's in northeast Pennsylvania, near the New York border. Okay. I mean, because I went to Ringgold, and I, I know how you feel about a a, a bad newspaper. At your yeah. High it was like a monthly pamphlet, pretty much. I mean, I, I pushed and pushed and pushed to get a print edition, and it was printed out pieces of printer paper stapled together. That's what ours was. That yeah. people bought Correct. because there were coupons for class. And <laughs> literally once when I pitched it uh, to students in a math class, they said, do we have to read the articles to get the, new, the coupons? And I'm like, well, <laughs> no, you don't have to. My, my, the teacher's like, well, it'd be nice if you did. <laughs> um, so what do you, uh, like, what's your major? What do you study at Point Park or at uh, Pitt? Um, I'm a sociology and English writing um, with a nonfiction concentration major. We don't have a journalism program, so I'm a dual major in those things. And, and then sociology I, and English. It's English writing with a concentration in nonfiction, so you can do fiction or non-fiction in the English writing track at Pitt. Mm-hmm. Cool. So is that how a lot of your, uh, your writers on staff, are they in that same concentration, or is it just like a hodgepodge of different majors? It's, yeah, it's a serious hodgepodge, and it makes it so that we have to really teach everyone what they need to know about journalism because there is no journalism program, because a lot of people aren't writing majors. We have a lot of STEM majors on our staff. Most of the editors are at least a little bit like like me. They have a dual major, but... It's a complete mix of people on staff, so they come in with all sorts of different knowledge. So how do you do that? How do you teach uh, kids to write? Um, um, so we usually give them a really quick rundown when we hire people with our, um, you know, we have a big packet of like, here's what you need to know about writing a story, here's what a nut graph is, here's how you interview, here's the spokespeople at the university. Um, and then we also, I brought on someone this year Um, who's like a staff development position and she leads workshops for new writers and um, she runs them like once a month and she gives them like complete basics of journalism but then she'll do like other specialized workshops about interviewing about um, I don't know feature stories about writing a column different things like that 
And I, I think that's been really helpful, um, but it's a lot of just like learning as you go because it's a daily, so you have to learn really fast. Just taking edits. So what do you think uh, sort of motivates uh, students to work for a school paper when there's not like a journalism program? They're not like explicitly studying journalism. I have no idea. <laughs> no. Um, so we we do pay. Um, we pay everyone on our staff. It's nothing that like, unless you're an editor, you can't really pay the bills with it. But uh, we, I pitch it as like knowing how to write concisely and clearly and communicate to an audience is good for any major. So it's also great for law if you're going to law school, if you're going into any media profession. Um, if you want to go into science, you're going to know how to you're going to need to know how to write clearly and concisely. It looks great on your resume because it's a big responsibility to take on. Um, I don't know. I pitch it all sorts of ways. So I think there are a lot of benefits. It's just also a lot of work, and I'm constantly astonished that people want to do it if they're not planning on being journalists. Mm -hmm. How many uh, kids do you have consistently writing for you? Um, Just writers, I would say around maybe 50, a little more, 50 to 65. (laughs) Yeah. Because we have four desks of writers, culture, news, opinion, sports, and each of them have anywhere between 10 and 20 staff writers at any given time. Then we have, you know, a visual desk with photographers, videographers, and we have copy editors, layout editors, the whole shebang. But it never seems like enough. I know you guys are surprised. No, it's really good to sort of get you for an early episode because it's just, it's it's interesting for us because it's just so outside of what we're used to. How, how much do you think we got paid as news editors at the Point Park Globe? Like um, a semester? <laughs> I don't, you want me to actually guess? Yeah, actually, I want you to actually guess. Uh, a s- per semester? Yeah. I guess less than 500, right? That's correct. It's yeah. zero dollars. Oh, you got, you guys don't get paid. <laughs> okay. Um, and we're weekly. Right. As well. Yeah. So, uh, how, I actually, um, and we don't have anyone writing for us. Yet. I think, <laughs> I think last year, because we ran the news desk, I think last semester we had like five kids that we could consistently, there was, and it was great, and that was a godsend. Like I remember the entire semester, we're like, we're so lucky to have five well, kids consistently for get, us. We'd consistently get like five articles per week, but there was maybe a staple of like two or three like consistent people we know we could go to, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, but I mean, even even when we do have a lot of writers, it's it's the bystander effect. Like as a sociology major, I do watch these things like kind of take place where you still have only two to three like staple writers per desk and everyone else will kind of like float in and out and you have to really like force sometimes you have to force people to like do their job sometimes which is frustrating so even with a lot of writers it's still like you end up relying on the same people all the time and they end up being really great writers yeah and they they develop really quickly into being really great writers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so what um you know what makes you like really enjoy this stuff. Why do you do it? What what made you want to be the editor in chief of the Pit News? Um, I like bossing people around, and that's pretty <laughs> much it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, what made me want to be editor in chief? So I really like journalism. Um, I feel very um, kind of foolishly optimistic about journalism all the time. I still think of it very much as the fourth estate. I hope everyone else does too an integral part of our democracy, et cetera, et cetera. So on a broad scale, that's why I love journalism. A student paper, I think, is so... I mean, we're never going to have an experience like this again. It's so organic. You have so much room for experimenting. Um, you get, you can try out... You're learning, so you get to try out all these new things, and everything is a new experience. And 
um, you get to work with people who are just getting excited about the about the profession or about the skill or the trade. Um, and being editor-in-chief, I mean, I get to kind of take the paper in a direction that I want it to go. I've been able to um, meet a lot of young p- writers who, I don't know, like remind me of myself with the same like vigor or whatever coming in. Um, I, yeah, that, that's a hard question. <laughs> it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. And I feel like it pays off in small, like every day something feels really good about it i think well, are you are you in there every day yeah oh yeah you're in the newsroom every day yeah yeah Oof. absolutely what well I, I have one day off but i usually um you go in regardless well we work monday through friday so i'm not going to be in there today well i am but <laughs> um yeah on my day off i usually like stop in but we're in there every day from like a lo- between 11 a.m and i leave in the morning at like 1 30 in the morning so we're there all the time you're there from 11 to one thirty in the morning every day well de- like around my classes yeah, so okay. i usually come in at like two because i have to be there for our editorial meeting and so forth but the editors as a whole are there anywhere between 11 and then ev- i leave every yeah at one thirty in the morning i'm never there i never leave earlier than that unless we finish really early because our deadline to send the pages for the next day is at 1 a.m I think I think Ian and I are still sort of processing that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's yeah. yeah it's so, a full time job at that point. It's a f- uh, yes, yeah, yeah. definitely. 100%. So like other than like a ton of coffee, how do you how do you do it? I don't know. Um, a lot of self motivation. It's seriously a passion project. I mean, we get paid, but like it's I don't get paid for the hours I work. Not even a little bit minimum wage. Um, right. Yeah, I you just really have to want to make a good paper because we could get out at. 11:30 if I skimmed through everything and didn't like really push people to keep editing and make it better but you kind of have to force yourself to stay there longer and get it right every single night I I really don't know just self-will <laughs> mm-hmm. I wish I had advice but what's your uh, distribution numbers like um we haven't done like a study in a long time but I think it's around our circulation is like 10,000. Um, we have stands all over Oakland, so we're kind of like a community newspaper in a way. Um, I don't know, but the, I think the pickup rate used to be like 7 out of 10 for the papers, which I think is insane. I I don't think it's at that level anymore, but something around there, maybe. What's, what's sort of your sense of the sort of uh, perception of your paper on your campus? Is, is there sort of like any, any sort of adversarial relationship with anybody? Is it is it highly, highly respected by everybody? How does that work? <laughs> everybody loves us. Um, <laughs> nobody has ever gotten mad at us. No, um, we definitely have some haters, so to speak. Just people who get frustrated when we make mistakes. And um, there are certain... I recently held a panel on social justice and journalism because I really felt like there was some tension between activists and journalists. And I don't know if you guys have seen this as well. Um, student activists maybe kind of pulling away from being interviewed, not being interested. And I understand that. They don't want to be misrepresented. They feel like there's too much coverage. It's like a swarm sometimes. Um, but I've really worked on fixing that relationship this year. So I think that's gotten better. Um, but there might still be some, like, you know, especially with this election, with us having to give a voice to some people who weren't necessarily 
liberal or super progressive. I think people, yeah. And then on the other side, we get, like I said, we're a community newspaper, so not everybody is a student who reads. So even though our demographic is largely liberal, we get people who are very conservative, who, you know, call us like a liberal rag, student media, whatever. Um, I think generally people think the Pitt News is a good resource. I don't think people are throwing parties in our favor, but I think people generally think we're a good resource, especially online. Did your, did, actually, does Pitt News ever, like, did you guys, like, endorse a candidate or anything like that? Yeah, yes, we endorsed Hillary Clinton, and uh, people were very, very mad about it. Did you endorse in the primaries or just in general? Um, it was after, it was after Bernie was out, yeah, so it was, no, it was when it was down to just Hillary and Trump. Okay. Um, so sort of Clinton talk about, um, you know, uh, how you guys came to that conclusion, if there was kind of um, any kind of, uh, you know, to what extent there was disagreement in the in the newsroom and, and how people respond to that. And that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so I mean, I can't really talk too much about my opinion, but we wanted to really make sure that we weren't making any assumptions about who people wanted to endorse. So we brought every single editor into the newsroom um, and took a vote. And we thought very carefully about how we wanted to word um, the endorsement. And in the end, we decided to just put out something that was pretty much a, a, a list of tr Donald Trump's quotes um, that the editorial board disagreed with um, and felt very strongly about. And there, w I mean, there wasn't a lot of disagreement on our editorial board f to vote for, I mean, to endorse. I think more than anything, it would have been, should we do this at all? Um, or sh yeah, there was, it was, it was pretty straightforward and putting out that, but then, uh, somebody posted our endorsement on a Reddit thread, I think, or a 4chan thread, one of those and said, you know, my college paper is endorsing Hillary Clinton, like go, go get him or something. And everybody started attacking us on the internet. A lot of like nationalists and like alt-right type of accounts were like all of a sudden attacking the pit news for our endorsement so we had to kind of defend ourselves after that by being like this is what a newspaper does it's okay to put out an endorsement it doesn't make us biased um that was harder than actually making the endorsement so what what do you mean specifically by attacking so were they like was this like uh public spams on the facebook page for it or like personal emails or yeah, uh, all um, the above all of the above it, well not the facebook page so much mostly twitter a lot of Twitter hate. Um, yeah, actually, yes. Comments on the Facebook um, post where we had posted the endorsement. I got emails. Um, people would, I, I think people came into our office. I mean, we had a lot of conservative columnists on staff who were kind of upset about it because they felt like they were being misrepresented by the paper that they worked for. The whole thing was strange to me because I, I just thought, I didn't think anybody would be surprised that a college paper endorsed Hillary Clinton. You know, I didn't think it would be a big deal. Um, but yeah, I got emails for a while about it. Just like, how could you guys do this? You're supposed to represent the voice of the students and you didn't even ask them or whatever. But I was like, that's not how an editorial works. So I don't know. Well, has uh, is that something that Pitt News has done in the past? Is go back? If, did you go back and look if uh, they've endorsed candidates in the past? Yeah. Yeah, we have. And we endorse, we endorse SGB, like student government board candidates. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. We interview them, bring them in for interviews, and then 
Nobody gets mad about that. <laughs> you see, I'm su- I'm surprised people don't get mad about that. So, because I'd assume that that's um, because it's not because like for for you know left of center people, the decision between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton is a very easy one. Mm-hmm. But for United Students government, I'm sure there's a lot of debate back and forth about who to endorse. And it's also like a popularity contest in a sense too. You know? Yeah, yeah. I I. I don't know. I mean, I think we have low voter turnout for student government board. I don't think. I know that we have low voter turnout for student government board. Board members have run unopposed for years, but the president has been the only contentious position. And I'm, I, I think that most of the time it's pretty like someone wins by a lot of votes. Maybe not a landslide, but there's a pretty obvious winner for the past couple of years. So. I don't want to, I, I'm not going to say people don't care about student government board, but I think people are not all up in a huff about it so much. <laughs> I know there's like a conservative uh, news outlet on uh, University of Pittsburgh's mm-hmm. campus with the the Pitt Maverick, is mm-hmm. that right? Mm-hmm. Do you have any sort of relationship with them? Do you like share writers or? Yeah, they're, um, they're editor-in-chief and they're managing editor. I, I'm not sure what their positions are, but their top editors were all columnists for the Pitt News. And I think that they started the Maverick because they felt that um, they wanted something more geared toward um, a certain audience and more geared toward their feelings than the Pit News was. So, yeah. Well, do you think that do you think that's justified? Do you, I mean, clearly, you, you know, as the editor in chief, I'm sure you think that your paper is like balanced and there doesn't yeah, prefer no, one no. political side. Um, is there? Do you think that's justified? Like, I guess it's the whole Fox News debate as well. You know, like they're saying they're uh, being fair and uh, fair and balanced. It's like, is taking that con- hardline conservative side is that fair and balanced? Does it balance anything out? Yeah. Well, first of all, I am saying a lot about people making fun of us for being liberal, but I feel that we've been very fair and balanced. Um, I think people just tend to think that student papers are liberal because we have a large liberal audience, and most of our columnists were probably liberal. So. Um, do I think it's fair that they, yeah, I think I'm never going to say that people shouldn't make an outlet for themselves. I mean, even though I think that they should represent themselves in a certain way, and I haven't looked at the Pit Maverick recently, I don't know if they're calling themselves a strict news source, but I think they've made it very clear that they're a conservative voice, and that's that's well within their rights. <laughs> I mean, I think that's fine. I as long as they're not putting it forth as this is the news, there is no other alternative. You know, I think if they make themselves more of a columnist-centered site, um, that that would make sense to me. I gotta say, one of the things that uh, something I've read from the Pit News, I think it was from the past year, that I loved the most was uh, sort of when you guys went after uh, the Odyssey Online. Mm. That was a uh, I I, I love that a lot because I. I I feel I thought it was a really great editorial. It was written up really well about how it's like how the Odyssey and sites like that are sort of undermining or diluting journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than I love that, I love their response. It was mm-hmm. just seemed like ultimately very childish because the, the the Pit News was um, their editorial was very laid out. You know, it was well ri- really well written. A lot of evidence behind it. Mm-hmm. And then the Odyssey was sort of like you're a bunch of assholes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a column. Yeah. The the Odyssey was a column by one of our columnists, but. Um, so it wasn't the opinion of the editorial board, but I have to be careful because the um, counter, th- what you're talking about from the Odyssey was from someone on our staff. So an editor on our staff also is an editor at the Odyssey. Um, I, I get worried about these student outlets that come from national, like, you know, like her campus and the Odyssey, I, the tab, 
because I feel like no one is taking responsibility for the journalism they're putting out. Um, there's not a lot of training for like who they hire and what kind of journalism they're doing and if they know what they're doing. Um, and so these students are going out and they're writing stories and they think, I, I'm glad that they're getting involved and writing, but if they make a mistake, there's no accountability. You know, there's nobody that's going to back them up. Like if someone comes into my office and tells me that a reporter made a mistake on a story, I'm going to first try to stick up for the reporter and I also understand the ethics of journalism, but the student who writes an, an article for the Odyssey, if it's got something in it that's libelous, I don't know where, I don't know who takes responsibility for that, you know? It's just the student's fault, and then it's out there, and it's sometimes misinformation, so, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just, it makes me nervous. I see a lot of those articles online, and they have, you know, very little reporting, and it yeah, it makes me nervous. That that's all I gotta say. <laughs> um, I want to actually explore a little bit more. I think it's a really interesting topic. Mm-hmm. This idea of of like, what is balance, right? At, at, for a for a journalism outlet, like for example, um, like what um, you know, is there a you know what groups should we feel a responsibility to sort of like represent, mm-hmm. right? So like, I'll give you an example, like. Um, you know, if during the primaries, if someone, you know, if I was running a school newspaper and or any newspaper for that matter, and someone wanted to write an opinion article defending Trump saying that we should ban all Muslims marrying the country, right? Mm-hmm. I think, th- honestly, it'd be irresponsible to publish that. Hmm. I, I, that, like, because that just seems so beyond the pale uh, to sort of just, you know, th- that sort of like you know, outward just explicit just bigotry just sort of seems outside the realm of 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 what a newspaper should sort of like tacitly allow Mm -hmm. you know like so so where do you where do you fall on that um i yeah i think that's something we have to figure out um and think about really hard in the next couple years um because as i mean at college papers like there's almost usually nothing beyond the pale you know, most things are not surprising um, that come from a college paper. So I would, uh, I don't know, a column like that, it, I guess if it was well argued, I, w- I would consider it. I, I don't want to block anybody's voice just because if it's if it's bigotry, I'm not going to print it. Um, but I mean, I'd argue, yeah, how do you write that article <laughs> without it? Because it just yeah, seems like, like cause, yeah. it's a spectrum, right? So like, right. Obvi- like I think we can all agree that if someone wanted to argue in favor of slavery, we wouldn't publish that, right? Right. Yeah. 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 No. So there's definitely there's there's a spectrum here. Like we, you know. So I you're think saying someone who outrightly was saying we should ban all Muslims, right? Like I, just just yeah. If that like because because actually like the new sort of what we talk about is the Muslim ban. Uh, I think there's more leeway to have an argument about it. Um, but just his original statement of we should ban all muslims right that, yeah yeah that I just was, you just can't I, I don't know i can't that's just there, I, there's no way like you could say like well if it wasn't big it was like well, how could it not be no it, it just, you you're know, right yeah you're starting from a premise that is so mm-hmm. but you if know. you don't if you don't give someone a voice on that is that reactionary or is that proactive you know like are you trying to keep it from becoming normalized or is it already normalized and you have to allow that voice well i think that uh you know one of the main reasons for the rise of Donald Trump and for the rise of, you know, the sort of normalization of his sort of, you know, uh, ideology as presented in his campaign was because of sort of media normalization of it. Mm. Uh, And I think that, 
we can't do that. You know, I think that, you know, like when he's saying that sort of stuff and CNN's doing a town hall about how nice he is to his family, that's, you know, that's an issue. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've learned that. But is normalization the same? I mean, by normalization, do you mean just covering the things that he does that aren't bigoted? I mean, we uh, we can't just ignore coverage just because it makes him look normal. I right. don't I don't know. I mean, there are normal things about people that we have to still acknowledge. Um especially when yeah, so many I, people <laughs> when so many people consider that normal, you know? Like it's it's what 41% of 43% of Americans voted for him or something, you know? Right. Yeah, but I yeah. I don't think that I'd be surprised if the major I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I'd be surprised if the majority of those people think that Muslims outright should not be allowed into the country. I you know, I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I just tend to, I guess, think better of people. I, I don't know. But even if a lot of people think it, it doesn't make it right. Exactly. So I, I don't... Um, I think where the, if the media failed in this election, it wasn't in not representing the voices of certain people. Um, w- maybe in a sense, but it, b- more broadly, it was about not getting the right information to the right people. So not making people who um, maybe don't quite understand certain really harmful ideologies or policies understand why why they're harmful do you, do you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it's our job as journalists to take information and put it out to the people who need it and i feel like there was a lot of misinformation and people who just were completely uninformed because a lot of newspapers and a lot of news outlets are targeting young people and like online young people and then higher brow like academia and you know the people who read the New York Times are not the people who live in like the town I came from generally so I think that's where we need to like think is how do we get back to reaching reaching those people rather than just re- representing them mm-hmm. do you it, know what I mean yeah it is it, it is hard to get into those communities as well because um I don't know if it's like the same in your small town but I come from a small town in Virginia as well and the market is pretty much cornered by one small newspaper that represents the county Um, they have a very conservative leaning voice all their editorials are pretty much conservative Um, but yeah so how do you penetrate those those markets Um, is it only online based I, I think that that's sort of an outdated model or a model that doesn't have as much reach as people think it you know yeah think it does well I think we need to stop coming at people like they're stupid like it you know don't don't come at them from like a judgmental let me tell you something type of I I don't know I've been at a college paper so our uh, as I've said our audience is largely one one one-sided leaning more to the left and I recognize that and I think that it's important that we represent that as it is so I haven't been out there doing this work I can't really say but I think community journalism is the future of probably where we're going going out into communities um back to like beats and understanding people but maybe on a different form like maybe online rather than trying to give them a newspaper or sell them something um i don't know i don't know if investigative journalism is ever gonna seep into the corners of america (laughs) i would love it to (laughs) so to what like what's the relationship with uh, pit news and investigative reporting like um we try (laughs) it's it's so hard when you're putting out a daily paper to have time to do these long stories and to and to teach people because 
our, again, we don't have a journalism program. Our reporters don't know how to do things like file FOIAs. And I just had a session on right to know laws because I thought that would be helpful. And they don't know how to follow through on a story like that, which is totally understandable. So you have to kind of walk through every step of the way with them if you have even a little bit of experience in investigative journalism. So it takes a long time sometimes for us to put out a big story. But So we, you have to be yeah. like the professor while you're learning. Yeah, I mean, not, not to sound like I'm mightier than thou or whatever. I learned too, but now that I know, yeah, I have to kind of try to be a professor um, in a way. All of, all of the editors do. That's a lot. I mean, so how many, uh, are there any journalism classes at Pitt or like mm-hmm. news classes? Yeah, I tend to think that the nonfiction writing classes are more geared toward creative nonfiction and most of the professors are creative nonfiction people, which is awesome. Um, but there, there's like intro to journalism and nonfiction classes and then there's, um, we have a former Washington Post um, writer whose name is Cindy Skrzycki who works really closely with the Pitt News and she teaches a lot of the journalism classes. So like women in journalism, media literacy, and then she teaches the intro courses. But I think we have a digital journalism class that's brand new and we have a sports journalism class. And So that's about, it. that's it? That's <laughs> it as far as writing, like writing intensive journalism cl- courses go? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot on your shoulders then. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and the intro classes are, I think, most of the students who take them are not trying to be journalists. They're trying to be creative nonfiction writers. So they'll do the the profile or the like news story, but then th- they're then they're done. They don't really pocket that information. Do you have a lot of like PR people coming into your uh, your staff as well? Because I mm. I think that's always a a problem with uh, with journalism, also when especially when you have a smaller staff and you're trying to shrink, but you're still trying to get content out. There's a lo- there's a tendency to just republish press releases you know you yeah. get a press release and you, you sort of write it differently and you say this is what happened and then you put it back out i don't know do people start out wanting to do pr is that i think i think <laughs> no, i think I'm uh kidding. yeah the, uh, pr is sort of the, the backup plan of every journalist <laughs> yeah absolutely and yeah. it's sort of i don't know a lot of the writers i like, like <laughs> pr people a lot of the writers i like uh well no because they, they, they know it's, they know it's true um <laughs> a lot of the writers i admire they you know they they realize they can make more money and be more financially stable yeah. if they're a pr person so they do it i think our university's pr guy was a right was a journalist for like the business times for a long time mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um you get good at it. I mean, right? Right. You I, see both sides of it. Yeah. I really try not to recycle press releases or just re-say what they're saying. I ask our editors, um, you know, if it's breaking news to do some, or if it's like day of news, to do some more reporting on top of the press release. But um, I don't know. We're very careful about looking out for times when we might just be the mouthpiece for some, you know, media relations Yeah, and and I'm sure it's a challenge to sort of, um, you know, get that across to these these uh, these students who may not have a ton of experience in sort of formal education Mm -hmm. about. I think it's one of the hardest parts about journalism is trying to figure out what, you know, at what point are you being just like at a base level kind to a source, and at what point you're just sort of being the champion for a source when you should just be reporting on what they're saying. Right. It's it's difficult. It's most difficult with athletics, especially at Pitt, um, because we are our football team and basketball team is covered nationally. So their PR department is very um, tightly wound. Um, It's very hard to get interviews with players when you're not, you know, right after a game or something like that. 
And so, and we have a lot of people who come on the staff and they're sports fans and they just want to write about like, oh, the team did great and, you know, cheer on James Conner or whatever. And I have to, I have to, I always put notes like, oh, like, are you being paid for this? Like, did somebody give you money for this? (laughs) Or are you joining the cheerleading team or something like that? So, yeah, I think sports is one of the trickiest. I actually don't know. Are there other sports at Pitt other than the big ones? Like, are there like, is there like a tennis team no one knows about? Yeah. Yeah, no, there's a tennis team, cross country, track and field, wrestling. And so do you guys find yourself covering them more than like the the big ones? Not more. Certainly not more. But we try to cover them in kind. Yeah. Because I'm sure they're easier to get access to, right? Yeah, they're much easier to write profiles and features on, like their players. And um, we have really good swimmers right now. We have swimmers and divers. Um, and we have some really good track and field and cross country people. And the basketball team is not doing so well. So turning to them now, not that we only want them when they're doing well. We try to cover them all the time. But And we have a lot of club sports, which I'm sure you all have too. Mm-hmm. So I have no idea. actually, we just have. <laughs> I think we just have <laughs> one, right? The rugby team. At this point, yeah, it's just rugby. That's a club sport. Everything else has been made into. I mean, even we had cheer and dance as a team or as, as a as a club, but now it's like a proper team oh, by the really? university. Yeah. How expansive is like your your universe of uh, of topics that you can cover for Pit News? Do you pretty much try to stay on campus, or do you encourage your writers to go uh, outside of Oakland? Um. We try to stay um, on topics that will affect Pitt, the Pitt community, or the Oakland community. So that can be expansive because if someone comes to us with a national story, like we just wrote a story about, um, we did two stories, one about Trump's federal hiring freeze and one about the immigration um, order. And so we talked to immigration lawyers in Pittsburgh and then we talked to like people at the university to try to figure out how the federal hiring freeze might affect graduates. So that's a way that you can always tie in national angles to the pit community, which we try to do because people come to us with a lot of national pitches because they're fired up about stuff. So, um, I know it's sort of, at least at our school paper, there it's sort of an ongoing debate about um, to what extent we should cover those sorts of things because mm-hmm. I, mean, I think the notion is that, you know, A, we should be producing content that is relevant to, you know, a, a Point Park audience. And yours, it's a little different for you guys because you aren't explicitly just a pit news outlet. You're a community outlet, as mm-hmm. you said. Uh, and also just, uh, it's also the idea, well, again, it's different for us because we're weekly. And the idea is that other uh, organizations covered it by the time we did and, yeah. and stuff like that. And so, yeah, so what, um, to what extent do you think that uh pit news should be covering national stuff and how do you sort of um decide what's what's worth covering and what isn't worth covering i think it's only if you can give an angle on it that no one else is going to and in that case it's the pit or oakland angle um we will write editorials on national things but other than that i only look for things that we're gonna do that you're not gonna find on you know even at the PG sometimes, like we don't want to do necessarily the same thing as the Post-Gazette did, um, that you're not going to find another college paper that you're not going to find at a national news outlet. So just finding, it's case by case. Is that, is that going to make noise? Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we... Hand talker. <laughs> I, I'm sure we made as You've many... you got a sort lot of, of rings on. By yeah. The way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's for punching. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is okay. it because you knew you were coming to Point Park or what? Yeah, like, I was like, what, what, do you, what do you guys think of us? Oh, I didn't dear. know where this conversation was going to go, so <laughs> I just wanted to be prepared. Oh, oh dear. 
Okay, fair enough. Um, do we want to get into uh, football talk? Yeah, I guess we are, <laughs> since we are we were on the topic of sports, sure. I would be remiss uh, because it, we are recording the day before Super Bowl Sunday, <laughs> and I would be remiss if I didn't bring up an opinion piece I saw you wrote with the headline, Football is so gay. Oh, me. <laughs> me, me personally. Yes. Forced masculinity oh, okay. in pro sports halts social progress. <laughs> No pressure, but <laughs> defend that statement. <laughs> no, no, it's not even like you have to defend it. No, <laughs> no. Uh, I was just, uh, did you get any reaction? Any, like any? Bad? It won an award that column. Really? Oh wow! <laughs> Great. Um, I okay. So I was I was sports editor for or the assistant sports editor for the last semester before I was editor in chief. Um, it was basketball season. Disclaimer: I don't know anything about football really. Um, I know about pit football, but. I wrote that column. Okay, so you have to read it because it's based on a book that a local author wrote called Football is So Gay, um, <laughs> which is a ridiculous book. Like, it's it's it just cartoons and just, like, it's crazy. He's gay. Um, so I guess he felt like he could say a lot of things. But um, that is just about how forced masculinity in pro sports kind of um, – drives the market so I think I talked a lot about how there's all these ads during the Super Bowl with like hot chicks and um like beer and stuff I'm trying to remember oh and I wrote about um athletes who have come out of the closet and there's very few of them I mean yeah that's that's it's ridiculous how few athletes and there there are gay athletes like there are (laughs) so the fact that there's so few of them that are ready and willing to come out is I think a result of this really intense pressurized masculine hyper masculine uh, setting. Yeah, that's what it took away from your pieces yeah. uh, like how the effect of that very masculine community is sort of driving down uh, maybe homosexual athletes who um you know are feeling pressured like they can't, you know, be themselves or be come out as who they yeah. are. Well, then they come out and it's like Michael Sam, they become Michael Sam? Did I? I, I think, think so. that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. I, that didn't sound right when I, yeah. I know what anyway. you're talking about. Famed, <laughs> famed uh, Montreal Alouettes football player. Yeah. Go loose. They, <laughs> they come out and that's what they become known as. Like, oh, do you remember that gay guy who played for et cetera, et cetera? Um, and who wants that for the rest of your, if you want to just be a football player and be good at your sport do you really want to take on the title of being the champion for gay rights in athletics in the nfl i don't i don't know i think that's really hard and there's a i did talk to a guy who was a hockey ah i can't remember his name but he's in that he's in that column he was a hockey player here he writes and he came out on outsports.com um, which is specifically for um, gay athletes, I guess. And he was really insightful about what he thinks the um, effect is on athletes and like whether they can be themselves. Mm-hmm. I think as you move down the chain of like from super professional, super commercial sports to like the less well known, you'll probably see more people who are out, and that's just a result. Yeah, of, it, uh, <laughs> it's sort of. You know, my only atta- I you know I'm so disinterested in sports or in sports in general, yeah, especially football, <laughs> that it's hard for me to even think about these things. But it, it shouldn't be too too difficult because I mean, there is sort of like this this misconception that like uh, like gay men actually aren't like masculine, right? Like right. That, you know, like because because exactly. the issue is that like what you're describing, like like the the beer commercials and the hot chicks, but they can it's, like it's, beer, <laughs> like right, no, a gay like person a, can like beer. It's it's not the issue isn't I guess. Uh, 
in this case, toxic masculinity. It's like toxic, like like hetero masculinity, right? right? Normative, like heteronormative, right? Yeah, and it's tailored to an audience. Well, I mean, I guess what I, even in the beer commercials, they use women to right. sell them. Um, but yes, you're right. So it's, it's just more like, like, it's like a hetero. You yeah. just need like a little side. You can keep all the mass, just gonna get a little less heteronormative. Right. You, you, know, you, you got it. And that's the thing. It's like if you come out as a gay athlete and you represent that in your on your team or on your, in your sport or whatever, um, you don't necessarily have to paint like a rainbow flag on your back and right. wear it for the rest of your life. Like you can just keep doing what you were doing and also be gay. Like you don't have to be any sort of person you know that's yeah mm-hmm. i can imagine that there's also a lot of bullying in the locker room for these sorts of things mm-hmm. so i wouldn't know um, have, have you kept up with any of the uh, the media coverage for the super bowl at all this week or like mm-hmm. you said you're not in football right <laughs> no i really haven't um i forgot that it was even tomorrow i'm so <laughs> sorry no i had uh, no cause, no because i we were talking about scheduling this this interview and i'm like so because we last week we did sunday I was like, oh, so we're gonna do sunday again and Ian's like Matt, we, we we can't we can't do Sunday. Like, why, Matt? There's something going on on, on Sunday. That's like, that's I, my day to eat chips without my pants on. That's <laughs> super. That's what Super Bowl Sunday means for me. So I just put salsa stains on my bare legs. Well, you see, you know, if I you can know, eat chips without my pants on in the office, then like maybe <laughs> we're like, gonna be working. Like so. back home, like Super Bowl Sunday, along with just like football Sunday in general. At home, it meant you know, God bless my father, love my father. Sunday for footballs was hide my room and avoid my father <laughs> because I just I'm not into yelling at a TV personally it's not my bag uh, and then at, at, at school now that I live on campus it's just turned into just uh, you know going in my room to avoid like uh, my roommates because I, I don't you know just shouting at a TV is just not my cup yeah, of tea yeah but, but you watch professional wrestling right I my again my roommates watch okay. professional wrestling and to the extent that I watch it I just mock it like WWE wrestling, right? Or? Now, if we, say, if we want to talk about how gay football is, you know, we can have a <laughs> way long conversation <laughs> about how gay wrestling is, yeah. and it's sort of, it's insane. Like, and it's so I don't want to get too much on a tangent about professional wrestling, but it's such a strange <laughs> concept that um, that professional wrestling is so like the characters are so heteronormative because it's so gay. Well, that's that's Kimchi's argument. I think Kimchi is the last name. The guy who wrote the book that I reference is that football is gay. Like if you think about it, it's oh, yeah, a bunch yeah. of men in tight pants running around slapping each other on the ass. Can I say ass? You what? can say whatever okay. the hell it's you the want. There are no rules. <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah, and like within reason, it, they're all kind of obsessed with the idea of each other and like all these men watch it and they're obsessed with the idea of like other men and watching them roll around and whatever. So that's his argument is that like, it's very gay and wrestling. I'm sure, I'm sure wrestlers are tired of hearing that, but yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, I might be the only like really big sports fan in here. I, I am. I, I, I really love uh, hockey and football are my two mm-hmm. favorite sports, but um, since I've sort of taken on journalism um, and like looking at it from with the eye of like a member of the media, mm-hmm. you just sort of just realize how much just it's like like professional wrestling. It's the longest running soap opera. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, what and sports is just reality TV for like dudes. That's all it is. It, yeah, because it's like it's keeping up with the Kardashians. It's like oh, I wonder where this guy is gonna sign with this team. And yeah. if you can't see through it, then yeah, you're gonna be that asshole just screaming at the and TV. And you have to know the inner workings. One thing I will say from being sports editor, I learned a lot about. I mean, I went in just because I. 
I could edit. It wasn't because I was a sports expert. Um, they needed someone. So <laughs> it's it's I, amazing how your your entrance into your school paper is exactly the same as mine. <laughs> uh, well, I was assistant news editor before that. So I I'm, was as well. Oh, oh my God. Okay. I, well, there you go. Um, but Twitter is so important to sports reporting and Twitter is like I've started following all of these you know local like sports like Brian Batko and like Michael Santorino at the PG and whatever and it's just like gossip on Twitter like gossip about sports all the time and so much inside lingo and like keeping up with it is yes very much like keeping up with the Kardashians I think I think Twitter's become a pretty good tool for for news journalists as well yeah Um, yeah yeah there was the uh what was the Washington Post reporter I can't remember his name right off the top of my head but he's pretty much using twitter as a tool to uh to hunt down these different trump foundation um mm. yeah oh, i know you're yeah. talking about um Fahrenheit. yes yeah. yeah um but okay i know we're moving on from sports but the thing about sports is that people break news on twitter far often than far more often than they do except for now that the president of the united states uses it as his own <laughs> spokesperson but like pitt's coach will only tweet like hail to pit when he gets a new recruit or something like that and like the recruits will say that they're signing on twitter or say that they're committing on twitter so like you really have to have a twitter to like do sports it's pretty much like their press release outlet yeah i mean we embed tweets and stories for sports all the time because that's their comment that's their statement you know they'll put literally like a screenshot of their statement and then just tweet it isn't it just crazy to you that like the Library of Congress is going to have a list of Donald Trump tweets in it? it like is. everything he tweets now is part of like is recorded for the national record. Well, everything he tweets on the at POTUS Twitter handle, right? No, it's uh, it's his own tweet. Like at real Donald Trump, I believe is like is it? Because I, I was under yeah. the impression that, that was just treated as his own personal thing, and that well, at, at now POTUS that he's the pr- now there. that he's the president, like anything he says is considered like yeah. Did you see Sean Spicer, like, holding up? He, like, printed out a journalist's tweet at a press conference and was, like, holding it up to Ugh. shame them for something. W- which outlet was it? I can't. I don't know. I, it was, I don't I'm sure know. it was either CNN or BuzzFeed. <laughs> I, yeah, it, yeah, probably. But um, I don't know. It is, it is crazy that, yes, our president's Twitter is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're using, uh, like, the ability to sort of erroneously report on public figures. They're just totally flipping it. The other way, because uh, I, I noticed that they've used that misreporting uh, of the bust of Martin Luther King being removed from the White mm-hmm. House. Yeah, they've used that as their go-to. It's like, well, you know, fake news. Yeah, this yeah. is yeah, this is why the media is like intentionally lying. It's like, no, it's like it's New York Times versus Sullivan gave us the ability to some some lee some leeway on reporting on public figures. You're a public figure now. You have been for a while. You, you should expect this. Yeah. Yeah, the fake news thing is out of control. Um, it's really been taken over by people who have benefited from fake news. I mean, Trump has benefited from fake news. The the paid protests thing was a huge part of his campaign, and it was completely made up. So, And now, I mean, Kellyanne Conway is making up her own news, and Sean Spicer is going out and making up news about inauguration crowds and I don't know. It's insanity. It's I have, sad. <laughs> I have a really big problem that uh, Kellyanne, Kellyanne Conway is even still getting airtime. She has no role with the administration. She shouldn't be their mouth their mouthpiece. I don't think that a producer 
can ethically put her on the air anymore for how much. Does, does I, she have no official role in the administration? I think she's, she's like a consultant or something like that. She's like senior ed- consultant to the president. It's like something that, or counselor is yeah, the title. It's, it's yeah, it's a made-up title, you know. Yeah, I, I hear I hear that argument's out there and it fascinates me. It's just, I, 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 I'm inclined to agree with you, but like, who else do you, like... Sean who, Spicer, that's no, what no, he's there for. You no, know? He's but, the mouthpiece. But, uh, but he has the same issues if not worse is what you'd want to I understand you're saying she's not as relevant but like I think it's I think it's completely unethical to keep giving her time well especially I mean I saw today that actually CNN had um, asked for Pence to come on and do a series of interviews and they they wanted to give Kellyanne instead and um, CNN said no they they turned her down good for them yeah you know I, I we wouldn't print a bunch of lies in the newspaper if they were coming from a source so why would we have a source on tv who's gonna keep lying right like you just don't that's not a reliable source if they're gonna lie um yeah we shouldn't keep putting them in front of people i don't know yeah and also she's yeah (laughs) it just gets difficult because i mean sean spicer has this sort of like really dishonest streak but you can't not you know involve him in your coverage because he's the press secretary no yeah it's, it's difficult yeah no definitely Kellyanne Conway, just because I, I was curious, her her title is just counselor to the president. Right. That's that's the title. So she does have a title, but it's not like I think a legit had anything. One. He had like a similar position, or maybe it's Bush. I'm not sure. One of the two. It just it, it all feeds into this like attention economy now that uh, I feel like a lot of news outlets are sort of buying into that I don't re- necessarily agree with it's you know it's reporting on lies that seems like a very like a battle that you're not going to win as a as a media outlet and then, you know I, another problem I've been having too is that I feel like a lot of news outlets are just writing more and more and more opinion pieces and editorials and mm-hmm. those are always what you see on like the front page of reddit or mm-hmm. like shared in your facebook feed and I think it's just a bad idea to buy into this attention economy yeah well people aren't literate enough in news media anymore to understand the difference between a column and a news story so it's confusing i think <laughs> for people mm-hmm. on the internet yeah especially when it says like opinion in a very small font yeah <laughs> like yeah it's, it's in the opinion section it does say it but it's like a very small font yeah and then they get shared and passed around and twisted and the format changes and before you know it mm-hmm. everyone's angry right yeah, I mean, the, the the frustration that I get back to ultimately on these things is just that I, again, like, as you were saying, like, the the term fake news is sort of co-opted by people who benefit mm-hmm. from it. I mean, I'd, I mean, like, it's been, in many ways, it's co-opted by the alt-right to yeah. sort of crap on uh, mainstream media, like, like CNN, which is sort of, like, what, the aggravation to get, I get back to every time is that if you think that CNN is, has been, like, adversarial to Donald Trump, you're, you have no idea what you're talking about. Right. I mean, I'll crap on CNN, like, but I was doing it before Donald Trump yeah. and, <laughs> became president. Like, and, there are problems in broadcast news media. I will not, it, yeah, but I don't think fake news is the problem or being too mean to Donald Trump like, is the problem. I, I covered the, the Donald Trump rally for the school paper whenever he came to the David L. Lawrence Convention Center downtown Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when he directed his crowd of 10,000 people to turn around and boo uh, the media, uh, and then he specifically is bringing, oh, CNN's the worst. I'm like, like you're kind of like right for the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I, I really, like, I'd love to agree with the President of the United States on the fact that CNN is just aggravating, but you like we could be more opposed when it comes to actually why you're saying that statement and why I'd say a similar statement. Yeah. I, I think that they're 
at what my biggest frustration with CNN, you know, sort of like contemporaneously is that the amount of free media they gave to Donald Trump. They gave him tons mm-hmm. to, to the point where the president had to come out and apologize whenever he won, whenever Donald Trump won. It's like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have given him that much free coverage. Maybe that was a little inappropriate. Well, you have to fill the 24-hour news cycle. So. Yeah, <laughs> and you can't cover it with any of the other candidates running. You have to c- fill it with Donald Trump because he's fascinating to hear about. I don't know. I, I kind of wish that they just had a camera on Gary Johnson at all times, <laughs> just following him around. I want to see what just crazy shit he's up to. Just, I, just he's uh, doing now. Oh, yeah, I know, right? Just, like, playing Call of Duty and, like, <laughs> and like smoking weed. Just eating Play-Doh, as I imagine, <laughs> and doing just spoonfuls of Play-Doh. Oh. Paste. <laughs> uh, yeah. But CNN, I mean, I don't think... I don't think they're, like, the devil. Like No. <laughs> I, yeah. They don't have... It's ridiculous to think that these, these organizations have, like, these sort of, like, intentional motives to damage certain candidates or this intentional ideological... No, they want money. That's all they want. It's not... Yeah. Yeah. Pay for your news. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so sort of moving a little bit from existential stuff. So what... You know, what do you... What do you, th- what do you want your relationship to journalism to be long term? Like, do you want to be a reporter? Do you want to own a newspaper? What you know? Um, yeah, I've always wanted to be a foreign correspondent, um, and I say that, and then I always like disc like laugh about it because nobody hires those anymore. Um, so I mean, I would love to be able to write internationally, kind of. Um, you know, in my dream, it would be like on a freelance basis for a bunch of different outlets. But I'm, I'm pretty much just gonna go wherever I'm taken for now. Um, but I definitely want to be a journalist. I don't, I don't want to own a newspaper. I don't think anybody should want to own a newspaper right now. <laughs> probably. <laughs> I mean, it'd be cool to start a news organization at some point in my life. I don't know if that's what I'm gonna do. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I sort of come down similarly, and I think it's just like sort of the most i don't know i don't i don't want to say the most rational route because i don't want to put down other things that other people would do but it just it makes sense to me to sort of just you know spread yourself out uh you know write for whoever or about whatever when you start out mm-hmm. and then hopefully you find a niche and you get hired and you get to write about something and the joy you just sort of find in in the in the craft rather than like specifically about what you're writing about or where yeah. you're writing for and then when you're down the line maybe you can start something once you actually have a name for yourself you know that just makes right. the most sense to me especially in the sort of like financially sort of difficult atmosphere that reporters find mm-hmm. themselves in right now but you know i i want to you know i don't want to you know there are some people who leave college they want to start their own thing and god bless them uh, i hope they are successful i just I, I at least i can't see myself having any success in that sort of yeah. venture yeah. i mean i don't know about you i just i just miss writing i mean i never get to write anymore in my position and kind of like steals the creativity from you and i just want to get back out and write and my I love doing projects, so I would love to be able to say, I want to go here and write about this for a year. You know, will somebody fund it and then go do that? <laughs> see, I, I see you laughing. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as much a laugh. It, it's kind of like, that would be really nice. That's, that's I mean, I'll wait tables on the side if I have that, that, to. That's like, very I'll, cute. I'll, I'll grind. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so you don't have any time. Big. You don't have any time to uh, work on your own little passion projects with the paper. I'm trying. I try. I've been trying to write these two stories all year, and I had to accept that one of them just isn't going to happen because I don't have the time. Um, and I'm also trying to write things that are not 
strict journalism on the side for my own writing career. I just like started a project and I'm very intent on following through with it. But you have to be adamant about it, I think, in my position. And maybe you guys experience that too as news editors. Well, like, uh, a semester of being a news editor produced 25,000 words of a novel on my part. So Seriously? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I find it so hard to step like step out of the reporter role. I, I, I just I fully agree with you when you say that like when you do and this might be like amazing to people who are sort of outside the realm on this but like being a reporter makes you miss writing a lot of the time it does it and, does or just you know being uh, having a sort of editorial position makes you yeah. miss writing and you know sort of like fiction writing is pure writing you're not like doing any kind of reporting obviously it's just writing and uh, yeah it's just uh, you know because I, I got into journalism because I want to write Mm-hmm. And that's the only, only thing we're good at. Yeah, well, yeah. Because <laughs> I can't play sports. Yeah, yeah cause don't I, do numbers good. <laughs> as 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 uh, you know, Rocky Balboa said, because I can't sing or dance. Yeah, I, I write. I will. In his case, he punches people. Sick reference, bro. Yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 classic, classic yeah. film. But no, it. it um, I got into it because I like writing, and I just sort of feel like. Uh, creative, like like if you were to major in creative writing, it's just so much more of a financial risk, and so yeah, as opposed to journalism, yeah. which we're really gonna pay well, off. You know, like we're really yeah. talking about these really relative things that, like in high, like from a right, macro yeah. perspective, it's like <laughs> well, they're both. Like, but no, I mean, I I I, 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 I feel more financially stable You're as right. like a report because mm-hmm. like I'm not gonna get like you know hired by an outlet to write my novel. Like, yeah, you get a book deal, but. Definitely. So but the it, problem is I put my fingers on a keyboard and I start typing in like AP style and I start yeah. putting, you know, line breaks every other line. And I, You see, you have to do what I do, which is you just write and then you just give it to the copy editors and then you just try to forget about you it. You made them edit your novel? <laughs> no, 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 oh. no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm saying just, just, just in general, oh. like when I'm writing journalism, just, you know what? I, I got the gist of the AP. You can you guys. Can I just oh, pictured you. <laughs> I just pictured you exploiting the copy room, like coming in every week with the, it's like I got a new five thousand words for you to go through. No, see what's I've actually had the thought of of letting the copyers at it, and it's it they would literally explode. I think because you know not only it's a, it's a first person like stream of consciousness type mm. of thing. Like it's just I, like I someone would not let them. I would not let them. <laughs> mad. It's just it's someone just rattling off like their thoughts to sort of like the type of writing it is and i yeah. think to the point where like i'm intentionally writing like fragments and stuff like that mm-hmm. and so i think that they explode i've asked them to edit my cover letters before okay yeah. nice but i feel like that's a friend thing and like you're a friend who knows a lot about editing so do you, yeah, that's, do you tell do them that while you're it's like we're best friends now and yeah like, <laughs> <laughs> remember your name but yeah. no, i'm just kidding I well that's it. how this podcast is being created Ian and i were we're friends out of working on the news section together and alex was uh kind of our boss and a colleague so he's uh producing the show and making sure we don't do anything too stupid and uh, we have a graphic designer friend of ours from this paper doing the logos and stuff for us. Oh, cool. It's it's yeah. It's just, you sort of you 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 make friends out of this sort of thing. That is a nice thing about a newspaper. There's so many uh, so many limbs to it. I guess so many extremities that you can that that you need that the newspaper needs. Like uh, the graphic Ariana Khalil. She is so talented. She she was like the savior of the paper last year for <laughs> us. Is she an, is she a graphic designer? Yeah. 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 We have two illustrators who. Um, 
Terry Tan and Raka Shikar. Shout out to you guys. Uh, we rely on them for like every illustration we need. And That's actually amazing. Stars. Two people for your for Pit News. Pro, uh, no, we have more illustrators, but they do the great bulk of right. our illustrations. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, they're fantastic. They work really fast. So yeah, they, just, they save your ass all the time. You know, it's like, oh man, we got this like inch. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta fill. And it's like, oh, let's see if we, they we can have do no, that. we have no visual for this story. Like, do something. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult for people to see beyond even just writers, but also just writers and photographers. It's hard to see past that in, in, in a newspaper um, effort. But it's yeah, it's the amalgamation of not just graphic designers but also business people and um, you know social media people and yeah. it's yeah there's a lot to it do you have a business department at mm-hmm. uh, Pit News yeah we're, well we're we're independent so yeah. we're not funded by the university we're funded completely by ad sales and marketing and Whoa. so yeah so you get zero funding from the university yeah that's surprising i know um yeah we're like a real business um we do get the we get the fourth floor of the union for free from the university, so they pay for our electricity, so that counts. Um, but yes, we have an entire business department. I, I think their staff is like f- around twenty people, maybe. So they do sales all over Pittsburgh, and they function just like a newspaper. That's really would. impressive. I don't know anything. I don't really know the inner workings that well, but I try to work with them sometimes. So do you keep the uh, the editorial staff and the business staff like completely separate? Um, not completely. I mean, I meet with the business. So we have a meeting that's like the news um, advisor and the business advisor and the business manager and myself and our online editors and our web developers every week. So we all come together and we talk about where the paper is financially, what things we could collaborate on to make more money if we want to do like a sponsored content type of thing. Um, but in terms of content and in, well, except for sponsored in terms of what we're writing and just at a writer reporter level, yeah, it's very separate. I mean, we have a good relationship, but we have to keep that line between. They also work nine to five, and so they're in and out, and we don't really have to <laughs> be around them that much. So mm-hmm. you put sponsored. You do uh, sponsored content. Yeah, or? yeah. Um, I like succumbed to it. We do a wellness Wednesday and a financial Friday, so it's a business writer who reaches out to, uh, you know, companies that might be interested. So the Financial Friday, we had like a PNC thing and they would send over like, hey, you should write about this. And like, here's a few details on it. And the business writer would put it together and then we send it through our copy desk and I just look over it to make sure that it's not outside of our style or egregious grammatical errors or whatever. We mark it very clearly and yeah, sort of, yeah. They want to do more. I think like by this next year, we're going to have like five sponsored content sections. So to keep it under control, so the whole paper doesn't become sponsored content. Yeah, I mean that's going to be hard. And you know that you're relying exclusively on advertisement. You don't get any. Do you get any subscriptions at all, like from alum or? No, no. I think we should try to connect with our alum more and get donors and things like that. But we don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we do different marketing. You know. Like, it's not just selling ads in the newspaper. They do other things. Like, we have a... If you look at our website, there's a little social media tool on the side called Friends to Follow. I don't know if anybody will care about this. (laughs) So, we can sell, like, if you wanted your social media... It's that... If you go up, it's that Twitter... It's called Pit and At. Yeah. Um, And so, if you want... It's just us right now. But if you wanted your social media to be on there, you could pay to have it on our Mm. site. So they they do different kinds of things like that. It's very what, exciting. <laughs> what sort of 
um, you know, I don't know what to extent you'll be able to, you know, sort of answer these questions, but what, so who, who what sort of uh, advertisers do you guys take uh, uh, in the newspaper? Is it for, like, local restaurants? How do you determine who you take? Anybody. I mean, I, yeah. So they, they break their, I can't remember, they're called, they have inside salespeople. So it's people that take advertisements from Pitt. Like, our Pitt program can- council usually buys, like, thousands of dollars worth of advertisements. And, um, you know, different departments of the university, if they're hiring for something or they're holding an event, then we have a classified section and then there's outside sales and they each have their own, um, areas that they work with. So somebody will have North Oakland, somebody will have South Oakland, somebody will have Shadyside, somebody will have East Lib. I don't know how many different areas they have, but then they, I think they just kind of go out into the community or they make phone calls and they say, Hey, are you interested? Here's our, they have like little pamphlets, you know, here's our like demographic. Here's how many people you'd be reaching that kind of thing. And we'll take all kinds of ads. We have uh, blush. The exotic dancing club has an ad every week in the sports section. So we got, we've like gotten in trouble for that before, <laughs> but we actually were part of a lawsuit. Like um, before I went to Pitt, where we had, I can't remember if it was for exotic dancers or if it was for alcohol, but we had an advertisement for it. And I think it was when we were still taking university funding before we were in- independent. Mm. And it was a big lawsuit about whether a student paper should be able to advertise these things that some people at school might not be old enough for or may be considered inappropriate. And we won. So mm-hmm. now we can sell naked women in our paper mm-hmm. in the sports section where they request to be. <laughs> that's where they want them <laughs> and it all comes full circle yeah <laughs> bye <laughs> so um, how much did that answer your question at no all? <laughs> yeah no totally yeah. no that's that's interesting and okay. uh uh yeah and assume the i mean the sex stuff is pretty much eight like 18 is sort of like the wall age i know i think it's ridiculous stuff. i mean the sex, that's the sex number yeah <laughs> And so the alcohol is a little diff- more difficult because it's 21, which means like a majority of your campus isn't going to be able to engage in it. So yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, it might have been alcohol now that I yeah. think. I think it was alcohol, yeah. yeah. Um, Sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, um, how much longer do you have at the, the paper to the, the end of the semester? Yeah, till May, early May. So uh, looking back at... at you know, you're you're going to be wrapping up here soon. Looking mm-hmm. back at when you came in, what did you uh, like bring in? What did you change at the paper? Did you have any like broad philosophical changes or like tools that you implemented mm-hmm. that you uh, were really satisfied with, or like that you did? <laughs> you thought it was like this is a great idea, and then you implement it, and you're like this sucks. <laughs> I think I, I had a lot of ideas, and I think I I think about it a lot. I'm pretty satisfied with the amount of things that I've actually been able to follow through on. Um, and when I say I, understand that like I am speaking for our entire staff because they're excellent people and they all do a lot of hard work, so it's not just me. But when I came in, um, our online engagement numbers were really low compared to papers that we kind of benchmark against, so like the Daily Collegian and um, the Daily Pennsylvania and things like that. So I really focused on getting people more drawn to our website. So we um, fiddled with the way it looks. We kind of made it m- more accessible we're really focused on breaking news online now. We came up with these, We, you know, I worked with our online editor to design these special story pages um, for our long form stories. We do live pages when we're reporting for election day and when we did the Pitt versus Penn State game. Um, we're, we, I had two really great people in our online engagement editor positions for both semesters 
who have done so much. Our, our Twitter Twitter is blowing up all the time. Our online engagement editor now does Facebook live streams three times a week with our editors. Um, we So anyway, the point is, since last year, we've doubled our page views, the amount of people coming to our sites. I mean, more than doubled. Like, it's seriously gone up, and I think that's going to be part of my like legacy so to speak I also started a newsletter that I put out once a week on f um, e either Fridays or Sundays and I curate it myself and I try to make it kind of a casual tone and it's really grown we have almost a thousand subscribers you can subscribe to it on pitnews.com about us a newsletter or a little pop-up box will come up um, and so I think that's really driven a lot to the site um, I really worked on strengthening our sports section. We just broke a really big story about Pitt's wrestling coaches that like we've we never get to break news or sports news like that. Um, what else have we done? We've held um, events because I wanted to become more like ingratiated with the community. So like I said, we did that social justice and journalism panel. Um, we've had an open house. Oh, what else? Um, I changed positions around a little bit to kind of fit better with where I think the industry is. Like, we used to have a multimedia editor, which is like, what the fuck even is multimedia? <laughs> like, uh, everything is multimedia. So I changed it to online, um, online visual editor. And so he does, like, a bunch of different things, and that position is probably going to change. I changed social media editor to online engagement editor. Um, but I think... For myself, what I really tried to do was change the culture within the newsroom. Like, I wanted everyone to really feel like a team and like we were just doing this together. And I'm not trying to be cheesy, but I really do feel like inside the pit news, like things are going much more smoothly just because everyone is friends and like nobody wants to let the team down. You know what I mean? And there shouldn't be that kind of pressure inside even a newsroom where it can get crazy. You should be able. And I think on election night, I saw it really come through like. I love thinking about election night as much as I hate thinking about it. But um, because I was like frantically sending pages at 2 a.m. And like I had had our illustrators make three different covers because we didn't know what was going to happen. And there were protests going on outside and everyone was swimming around the newsroom with their cameras and tweeting. And they were running out to the protests and they were like watching the TV. And like I just saw everyone working so independently and they knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing. And they were hyped about it. And it was like an awesome environment. And I hope that that carries on to the next year. And I think that's really what a newsroom should look like, is that kind of, like, happy swarming. How late were you up <laughs> on uh, election night? Uh, like 4 a.m. Oh, yeah. we beat you. We were 5 a.m., I think. Yeah? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember catching the bus back to Oakland at, like, 5.30, 6 o'clock. Really? I would get, cause, you I guys mean, came out to cover the protests in Oakland, right? We sent a, yeah. uh, I think we sent a photographer out there, but she wrote a, she wrote a piece for us. Yeah. Because I think somebody called me in my office at like one and was like what's going on out there like this i'm from the globe or something mm -hmm. and i was like okay and i think it was point park it might have been okay Duquesne, but I, I, i'd buy it because uh, <laughs> no because we did yeah we did have that and it was really like frantic because yeah. it was like it was oh this is happening we gotta go do it no, 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 yeah you yeah. know it was really yeah really interesting there's yeah. a, there was like a big thing here uh that they were doing simulcast i think you were doing radio alex and yeah. uh they were had like a, <clears throat> a broadcast thing so matt and i had to come in and talk on the radio and tv about just giving our, our bullshit opinions like yeah i guess that could happen here you know and they, they, yeah you uh, <laughs> <Bullshit. laughs> see my it's bullshit everybody you see like my uh like tv appearance for the school tv was actually sort of like <laughs> it's sort of like a beautiful metaphor 
for the for print reporters trying to do multimedia stuff because I I sat oh on my mic, and so my whole segment was just oh the whole no. end um, silent. And they're like, Matt, we couldn't hear anything you said. And I'm like, why? I was like, well, Matt, you can't sit on your microphone. I was like, well, that guy told me to put it in my back pocket. It's like, well, they probably didn't. I mean, they didn't like, we kind of assume that you just know these sorts of things. I'm sorry. So it's just sort of like a beautiful metaphor, I think, for like print reporters trying to like change with the times. Well, go live. Going live is so hard. Like if this were a live podcast right now, you guys would have had to cut me off like six times. I don't want to alarm you too much, but. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Well, you say you use Facebook live a lot. That's something that's a tool that I've sort of been surprised about Mm -hmm. how much it's implemented by like every media organization yeah. what, do you, what do you use it for um so we've always well not always but we've tried to use it to get protests and kind of things happening live like that like um when the athletic department um displayed their new uniforms or whatever we live streamed the like fashion show and those things do really well because people can't be at those events necessarily and they want to see them and they're exciting um Right now, we're doing these live streams that are kind of roundups of the week's news with different editors. So um, our sports editor will do one once a week where he talks about what's been going on in sports. Our news editor will come on. I I did one this last week um, where we talked about all of the stories that had happened for the last week. And I think those, I don't know if people are necessarily watching them live, um, but I know that people will go back and watch the videos. Not too many, but I think they're growing. And that was kind of just a way to say, like, hey, these are the humans who put out your news. Look at them. They're real. And, like, kind of give us, I, I guess, personalities and make the pit news more of a face, more yeah. of a face to the organization. I think that's actually one of the big changes in media, like, post-internet, uh, like, where, like, I think, I don't know how, how you guys follow news, but a lot of times I don't even follow outlets so much as I follow writers so yeah. much as I follow just personalities. But is that right? You know, because we're supposed to be kind of like fly on the wall type, not getting involved, whisper in the wind kind of people as reporters. So when we start becoming personalities and we start having these faces, like, I don't know if there's a line we should draw. There's always been like sort of celebrity reporters, though, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, uh, like Walter Cronkite. Yeah. But like <laughs> and I guess like Glenn Greenwald is the big one now. He's like the, yeah. bad, the bad boy journalist. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but he's nowhere near television, right? So it's, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I sort of agree with you. You know, it's not, it's never supposed to be about us. Like, right. It, our jobs could be done just as effectively if our names never appeared on that story whatsoever, you know? I just I just think it's a natural fact you had to deal with where, like, a lot of people are, they're, they gravitate more towards a personality than they do toward, like, a Washington Post. It's I know. Just, it's just more, and I think that, you know, like, I think we can have debates about whether or not that's right, but I think it's just sort of a fact we have to deal with. You yeah. Know? Yeah. We see now I have reporters go out and instead of tweeting, live tweeting right from the Pit News account, they'll just live tweet from their own accounts and tag the Pit News and it gets much more attention than it does just coming from the Pit News Twitter because people are way more interested in seeing an individual name tweeting something. They just like having a face to it. They think organizations are stuck up or whatever. And it's just it's and it's just uh, you have to just sort of distinguish that like, you know, these news organizations are amalgamation of people, and um, you know, certain people are going to do work that you appreciate more. Like I, I have a lot of problems with CNN, but I love Jake Tapper. Oh yeah, yeah, so. and 
Um, yeah, I love Christiane Amanpour. I've always loved her, and like, I will stay faithful to those kind of people. Anderson Cooper, definitely. What's even uh, what's what's Anderson Cooper even on these days? He has a uh, uh, <laughs> three sixty. He still does. He does the, the Cooper three sixty, whatever it's called. Where yeah. the idea is, we're getting every side of every issue. Dun, 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 dun. But he's fallen away since the primary, like since the he did the debate well, I, or I, whatever. I think I that I'm seeing Jake Tapper a lot more, and I think Jake Tapper is. I mean, I don't yeah. watch like TV news. I see clips Mm-mm. of things. Mm-hmm. And I hear about things. And I follow these people on social media. I just I think he's possibly the best person on television right now i love jake Tapper. yeah yeah he's he's killing it and he doesn't you know he's not an opinion guy he's a no. he's a straight he doesn't he says he doesn't, he doesn't even vote in elections because he really? thinks he, he, he's that kind of reporter or he's that removed from it and he is just i just i love how he just has this like great adversarialism that isn't like bias it's just like this sort of adversarialism toward like establishment stuff and just like lies and towards dishonesty well he that's just, what we should be and doing that's what it is and like that's you, not bias right that's the it's i get so frustrated because bias does not mean that you have to get both sides of anything at all times it just means that you go toward whatever is more can prove to be more truthful or unbiased means that the, um, the, the analogy i always hear is that like you know if if the steelers are playing the ravens and like the steelers win you don't like get the get the steelers opinion on who won and the ravens opinion on who exactly. won. you say that the steelers yes. won exactly <laughs> did you go to the uh, inauguration i could not make it for the actual inauguration i went to the women's march and covered it what was that like it was insane i mean I couldn't do much coverage because I couldn't get any cell service. So it all had to be after the fact. We couldn't do any live reporting. Um, there was no Wi-Fi or cell service because there was so many people. Um, it was really an experience. Um, sometimes it felt more like being at like a festival or something. Did any, any of you go for any of it? or? I didn't. Alex okay. did, right? Yeah. I, I was down there for the actual inauguration. I, I wasn't there the day after for the Women's March. We we also had some uh, cell issues, and yeah. as a result, our all our batteries were kind of drained. But mm-hmm. uh, we, we did as much live tweeting and that kind of a thing as we could. And then when we saw the sheer size of the Women's March, we were like, oh, I wish we would have stayed another day. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> well, yeah, it was really, really an experience. Well, uh, what? The Friday was the day of the week the inauguration was on, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, because I'm We did have people there on Friday. I, I just personally wasn't there. Oh, that's right. We had that train wreck of an interview together on, on that Friday, didn't we? Um, What? We talked to you. Uh, oh. <laughs> I don't think we should be talking about that, Pub. No, no that's okay. <laughs> it, it's okay. We we just we, we were going to try and chase down the story, and then we had an interview, and we're like, oh, we cannot do anything with the story you know, now. You know, we could talk about it in those broad terms. We're like, yeah, we're, we, we got really excited about this big investigative story that like could have had like this national pool and then we had an interview and what i said afterwards i was like that in, went in about the, uh, as poorly as it possibly could have went there's not a story oh yeah tell me, tell me about it off the mic we will okay um yeah like in the elevator is like all right so yeah that was that it. was bad that's that was bad oh, that like, sucks when you get excited it's like because i'm like and you then know, we watched it we came back and watched donald trump get sworn in it's like <laughs> this is a surreal moment right now Oh yeah, my god! No comment. I, no, that's no, that's. I didn't even. I didn't even like. I don't even know if I've thought about it in that in that sort of like framing before. Where yeah, we get home and it's like, all right, let's let's watch Donald Trump get inaugurated <laughs> president. Oh, oh, okay, so he 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 used like literal anti-Semitic, like he, America first, and is that okay? That's fine. He's our president. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, it's no that comment. was that was quite a day. That was quite a day. 
Okay. So I think that might be about where we wrap up. Correct? Do you have like one really intense um, or or deep question to ask to end the whole thing? I feel like something controversial. Do you believe in God? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the stance of the pit news on God is not. I mean, so where. Uh, you Where don't do have to. I no, was no, just no, curious if you I had one more like, hot question that you didn't throw out. Really, the the point of all this is, especially the reason that we're talking to a lot of uh, college newspaper editors, is because I think we have the best insight as to where journalism is going yeah. and what we want to do with it. So, like, where, you know, briefly, where do you think journalism is heading? Do you think it's heading in a, in a good direction? And how do you think that you can be part of that? Like, where do you think that your role in it? Yeah. I think it's heading in an excellent direction, actually. It's, like, resurging because it's needed now more than ever. Um, I think a lot of people would disagree with me on that, but I think it's a great time to be a journalist, and we need to work harder than ever. And I, as much as I want to travel and write internationally, this is kind of making me want to write from inside the United States, so... We're not the opposition party. I think we should remember that. We are the party. If we're a party, we're just a party for the voice of the people or whatever. So keep speaking for what the people need or something. Yeah. I I, I hope. Yeah, because otherwise we're just going to make no money. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that's like the main yeah. reason we want journalism to be good is because we yeah. want to eat. Yeah, that would no. be nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, really just all about our ability. To it's eat. about us. It's about me. Journalism's about me. No, right, exactly. I, it's 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 about me. To be no, fair. we need to keep standing up for, um, the rights of journalists, which is crazy. Like as if we're kind of a species of, like a creature or something. But yeah. understanding that the rights of journalists are important, and that when they're being fringed upon infringed upon that is a bad time for our country and even a very bad time even for shitty journalists you know yeah like, when, when, when an industry that's probably like majority white male is being like taken rights away <laughs> you know we have a, like a serious problem yeah well women and uh people of color can be journalists <laughs> yeah we need you all right thank uh, you very much for joining us thanks. here today and coming downtown Thanks for letting me ramble. Yeah, enjoy <laughs> enjoy the sights of, of the of the Point Park campus. We're looking at a dusty old red truck right now. <laughs> Beautiful breezy downtown Pittsburgh. It looks a lot better than it is out there. Yeah. It's 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 it's, it's so ch- cold. Yeah. Chilly. Alright. Um we actually have figured out how to end these things. So yeah. I guess we we're just gonna sing. stop. <laughs> <laughs>